Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We worship you. We glorify you. Oh, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son for us to die on the cross so that we could be saved. Father, we thank you that when salvation looked impossible, you sent your son for us. That you grabbed us out of hell and brought us up into heaven with you. That you made us victorious. Lord, we thank you that you're with us no matter what the circumstance of life looks like. That no matter how impossible it looks, no matter how big the mountain seems, no matter how much it seems like we can't get past what that storm or that trial is, that you said that you are the God that works miracles. Father, we give you glory and honor and praise. Thank you for being a real living God, a God that works miracles in our lives every day. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. So good, isn't he? Praise the Lord. Started getting emotional. Shocking, I know. While that song was on, just thinking about some of the impossible situations that I faced in my life. And God showed up when it looked impossible. God showed up. Amen. I tell you this morning, no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what you're going through, if it looks impossible, it's not for him. It's not too big for him. It's not too much for him. He wants to take us through the impossible because when he carries us through the impossible, he's the only one that can get the glory for it. Can't say we figured it out on our own. We can't say we crossed every T and dotted every I. God alone is the one that takes us through. Amen? You know, there's, there's stories about in, in the Old Testament when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. You watch some of the documentaries about it and they'll say that, you know, oh, it was a, it was a low uh, water season and the wind just happened to be blowing in the right way in the right direction that dried out a path. No, God had to do something that looked impossible for him to get the glory about it. Would we be talking about a strong wind 6,000 years later? I don't think so, right? God and God alone. When, you, when God works in your life, when it looks impossible and God shows up, my goodness, it's apparent. Amen? So when it looks impossible, be encouraged because you're in a good place. God's there. Praise the Lord. Not my message today. My name's Scott. I'm the associate pastor here. Welcome to Family Church Fredonia. My beautiful wife did the announcements today. And uh, those on live stream, thanks for tuning in. Please click there. Let us know that you're watching and where you're watching from this morning. Uh, our pastors, Pastor Michael, Pastor Nancy Loketic, our senior pastors, they are out of, not just out of town, out of country today. First time able to go minister in Canada in three years, I think. Praise the Lord. The borders have been reopened and they are there taking the gospel to Canada. Amen. So, uh, but he will be back, of course, uh, for our Tuesday night service. Pastor Michael will be here for that. So come back for that. Come back next Sunday and hear him, of course. Uh, also, Oh, I missed a note. Kids, where's our children's church kids? You guys got to head down to your children's church program. So if you're in children's church this morning, you guys can head on down. Give them a round of applause. Go kids. Praise the Lord. So glad they have a place. You know, we believe it's important for them to be sitting under the word up here, of course, but it's nice when they can get a program that's catered right to their age and, and their attention span and with things that help them apply the word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to have our service up there. They'll have theirs down there. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5. I believe God has something for us today. He has something for us every Sunday morning. We're going to get what the Word says today. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. I just want to add a, add a little plug on here. I know Jason mentioned that youth group will be starting next month. I encourage you, you know, he said it's not just for the kids of this church, not just for the youth of this church. If you know folks with children, maybe they go to church, maybe they don't, you know, use that as an avenue. I say use their kids. Use their kids to reach them with, I mean, the Bible says some by love, some by fire to get saved. So whatever it takes, some by children to get saved, so be it. You know, I started going to youth group for months and months and months. I was in the church before my parents ever came with me here. But somebody told me about the youth group, and that's what got me hooked up in the church. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that somebody told me that. So you don't know who's waiting to hear about the youth group here, what, what child, what young adult is waiting for a message of hope that's going to be preached there, for the gospel that's going to be told that in a way that helps them apply it to live life victoriously. You know, growing up is hard. Amen. Being a young adult is hard, especially today. They're getting a whole lot of, of, of twisted stuff taught in, in schools, out of schools, in media, everywhere. And you can't shelter kids completely. They're in the world, but they can be taught how to live in the world and still live for God. Amen. So uh, I encourage you, you know, if you have friends at work maybe that need to know about it, it's a low-impact a low way of getting them involved in the church, right? Because then they don't necessarily have to come. But then their kid will get so on fire for it that it will help bring them in. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, plug over. And keep your faith, one more plug for it, keep your faith on our youth group. Amen? It's an outreach ministry of this church. It's a ministry of this church. And our faith ought to be involved in that. That, you know, be releasing faith that the right kids come in there, that the right leaders are in there, uh, that, you know, they have unction from heaven every week, the right crafts, that uh, safe things happen and we don't get sued. I mean... <laughs> It's youth group, so let's be real, right? Yes, wave your hanky, sir. There's a book that came out of Rayma Bible Training Center years ago. It said, better safe than sued. And I guarantee it was a product of youth ministry. So <laughs> we praise the Lord. I'm, I'm mostly joking about that. But of course, make good choices. Praise God. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith, even our faith. If you get our slick text, yesterday I sent out a message that we were going to be talking about faith this morning. Uh, I've been teaching our, our ministry training center this trimester on faith, and so I've been feeding on it, and it was fresh in there, but it seemed good to go along this line for this morning as well. And it's funny that the name that came to me for this sermon was Believe For It before I knew what song Katie would be singing, uh, leading us in worship for this morning. But we've got a job to do as believers, because that's in our name, isn't it? Believers. That's who we are. Faith is part of who we are as a Christian. Faith is a part of, of the walk that we walk, of being a child of God. We have to have an act of faith to have that take place. And in believing for things, you know, we say that word so flippantly sometimes, believe for it, believe for it. What does it really mean? It means to use this tool of faith that God's given me now that I'm a born-again child of God to be victorious in life but not just for me personally. And that's what I believe the Lord has shown us this morning, that our faith is not just for me to have my own little bless me club. Amen. That's a part of it. Amen. I mean, God, Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a full supply, so that we could be healthy and strong, so that I could have peace in my life. Thank God for all those things. But that's not the highest purpose of faith. Amen. We're going to see what it is this morning. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 11.6, you don't have to turn there, we'll just have that up on the screen for you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
So we see faith is the avenue by which we please God. If it's how we please him, we ought to be constantly working on it. Amen. Now, I, don't need to, I know I sh shouldn't need to say this, but we have new people all the time and folks on live stream. It's important with a message like this, when we're talking about faith and pleasing God, that we don't get please God mixed up with love by God. Amen. God loves us regardless of if you ever use your faith while you live on earth. If the only thing we ever do in our life is get born again, man, you're a child of God and you're going to heaven. And that's victorious. Amen. But it says that there's another level that we can go to with our faith besides just being loved by God. I'm glad I'm loved by God, but I want to be pleasing to him. Amen. I want to live my life in such a way that God Almighty, the Lord of all creation who made the heavens and the earth, looks down at me and says, I'm pleased with his actions. I'm pleased with what he did. So how do we do that? It's by faith. Amen. So that's why it's important we look at faith. Romans 10, 17, just some faith scriptures for you this morning, tells us this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to get a faith boost today. Amen. You've heard about boosters. This is a booster. I'm not going to force on you. You're going to get it because it's in the word. I guess I am going to force it on you. You're here. So welcome. Praise the Lord. I know I'm not getting political. It's just a joke. Settle down. First John 5, 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you know you are an overcomer? Amen? Say that. Say, I'm an overcomer. Good job. I thought it was going to be like four people that said it. That was a good majority. Well done this morning. You are an overcomer. What does it mean to be an overcomer? It means that when you're a child of God, when you're born again, a Christian, you are now positioned over the storms and trials of life. So there's stuff that goes on in life. How many have ever dealt with stuff in life, right? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're not telling the truth this morning. And we'll go down to Children's Church and have a lesson about lies and truth, right? <laughs> Every one of us has faced a storm in life. But if we're positioned where we're supposed to be as children of God, they won't affect us the same way. Amen? I've given this illustration before. And I know, you know, they say use new stuff, but why when the old stuff works? You know, when you're looking at a picture of a hurricane from the space station, it, it looks almost pretty, doesn't it? You look down at the, at the clouds, the swirling clouds down there, and it looks so slow. It looks serene. It's just this beautiful, perfect circle. But if you're in the midst of the hurricane, it's a little bit different of a story, isn't it? As a child of God, you're meant to be up there looking down on the storms of life. Amen? But too many times as Christians, we're down here in the midst, like Jim Cantore from the Weather Channel, getting blown all over the place, stuff flying and hitting us all the time. Why? Because we're not where we're supposed to be. Amen? When a Christian is seated where they're supposed to be seated and recognizes how they're supposed to walk in life as a child of God, which is why we're talking about faith this morning, we can look down on those storms and see, oh yeah, there's a storm going on down there right now. That's how we ought to look at everything we go through in life. Of course we face it. Of course there's things that happen to us. But where we face it from dictates whether or not we come through it unscathed. Amen? And Jesus died so that we could come through it unscathed. Turn to Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans 5. You know, this certainly isn't a uh, Pentecostal holiness movie. But you ever seen the movie Braveheart? Right? Or any one of those old-time battle movies, you know, they show um, 
you know, any, I mean, Revolutionary War going back into the Hundred Years' War between France and, and, and England, any one of those, you know, you have the two, the two sides that face off in the field and they come at each other so gallantly, so organized. Picture a battlefield like that. I just think of Braveheart because freedom! I mean, it's, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. Now, I'm not telling you to go watch it. Watch it on Clearplay or something, because it is rated R, I think, but I haven't watched it in years. Anyways, I want to ask you a question about battles like that. Where was the king during those battles, right? Any one of those. If the king left the comfort of the castle at all, or the comfort of the command tent, he was seated on his steed, on his trustful horse, at the top of a hill overlooking the battle going on down there. That's where the king sat. Now you may say that sounds weak and insensitive, but let me ask you, if a king was fighting every battle and getting taken out every time, that country would never be able to grow, right? It would be turmoil, it would be chaos, it'd be anarchy. They need to have an established form of government. That's why we have leaders that aren't on the front lines. It's just how it is. Well, what does the Bible say about this? Romans 5 and verse 17 says, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, so that means we fell through Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness, that's you as a child of God, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Can you throw up the amplified version of that? Go to the end if you would, please. Look at this. Reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, that king, he was seated during the battle overlooking the chaos on the battlefield. If the king started to feel the sword, the swords hitting his armor, if he wore armor at all, if the king started, you know, if it was a later war, the Revolutionary War, if the king started to hear the bullets whizzing past his ears, if the king was being directly affected by the battle, that meant he was in the wrong place, right? As a child of God, if we're being directly affected by the storm that we're going through, if it's hurting us, if it's tripping us up, if we're losing sleep over it, that just means we're not where we're supposed to be. Amen? So what do you do? You get on your horse, you get up on the hill, and you look down at what's going on down there. You know who's fighting the battle for you? Jesus Christ. He's down there on the field, and he's taking every single advance that's coming against him. So that doesn't seem fair. That's the sacrifice he made for us. It wasn't fair, but God did it anyways. Right? He sent his son not just to die in our place, but to fight our battles for us. Amen. The king, you ought to be sitting in comfort on the throne. Of course, you recognize, you may hear the effects of what's going on. You may smell the gunpowder, but it ought not to touch us. Amen. The place of faith is a place of victory as a king reigning in life, sitting, looking down on what's going on in the midst of our life around us. If we're feeling the swords piercing our skin, we don't get beat up about it. It just means we're in the wrong place. Amen. So what do we do? We get in the right place. Jesus fought that battle so we don't have to. Now, back in 1 John 5, 4, I should have told you to hold your place, but if you can flip back there, or we'll have it on the screens for you. Back in 1 John 5, 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, overcometh the world. This word in the Greek that the Bible is written in, it, it gives an attitude of a habit, that the Christian ought to have a habit of conquering, that the Christian ought to have a habit of overcoming things, that it's just the way it goes. That when I come up against something, I ought not to wonder, am I going to make it through this? 
No, I know I'm going to make it through it because it's a habit of mine to win. I'm a winner because I'm a child of God, right? I'll, I'll uh, bring this down into science for a second. Of course, the word is higher than science, but science can tell us things. There are things that are truth that they learn and we can take note from. I studied psychology in college, and one of the things that we learned in psychology was that it takes about two months of doing something before it becomes a habit in your life. About 66 days on average, depending on the person's personality. So if you want to have a habit, say, of being an early riser in the morning, it might seem impossible for that first 60 days. But once you start to round right after that two months, next thing you know, you're just waking up then because you're used to it. What? It's become a habit for you. Likewise, you want to be a person that stays up late? Same thing. You do it progressively. It may seem, you know, I'm not a late, I'm not a night owl. My wife calls me grandpa sometimes because I'm, I mean, I'm in bed ready to sleep by 8.30, 9 o'clock. That is my, but I'm up at 4, 4.30. So that's, that's when I like to go to bed. But if you have a bad habit and you have to, undo that bad habit and replace it with a good habit can take about twice as long. It can take four to five months to now take, okay, I was doing this thing bad and I want to change this into something good because you have to undo what was wrong and turn it into something good. As a child of God, it should be our habits to be conquerors. It should be our habit to be winners. But a lot of us in life, whether we came to the Lord later, whether we've dealt with things after we were born again, a lot of us made a habit of being conquered, right? Of being overtaken by things. Before you're born again, you have no choice. You know, good things may have happened once in a while, but what do they say? Even the blind squirrel finds the nut, right? That every now and then something good may have happened, but your habit was always, was always failure. The habit of an unsaved person is always failure, even if it looks good on their inside. And you know this, all of us can testify. If you remember back before you were born again, I know some folks were very young, but I remember being, being in sin and being defeated, and, and, and life was just awful. I was conquered. It was my habit to be conquered. But when I got born again, I had to undo that habit. I had to undo getting used to being overtaken by whatever came my way. You see folks that aren't, that aren't saved, that don't know what belongs to them as children of God, when they come up against a storm in life, it over, they just expect that it's going to overtake them. How do you know? Their words are the indicator, right? How many of you have ever heard someone say before, now of course we're taught the word, we're taught what faith says about healing, but how many of you know, I've, I've heard it over and over again, somebody comes to work, oh, I'm getting sick, I got the tickle in the back of my throat. What happens? They're fully expecting to be conquered by that sickness, before it's even really showed up, they could have just slept wrong. I mean, they could have just snored too much that night, and you get a sore throat from it. But instead, they're fully expecting it's their habit to be conquered. Amen? So for us to undo that, the key to undoing that, to undoing that habit is in the same verse. He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we've got to make a habit of being victorious in faith so that it becomes our nature. Amen? And at first, it seems like a daunting task. At first, it seems like so much because you're trying to undo the way that your mind thinks. Well, the word tells us that's what the Bible's for, is to change how our mind used to think and recondition it to what God wants us to think like. Amen? The Weiss translation of this verse, Kenneth Weiss wrote this. He said, For every child of God overcomes the world, and the victorious principle which has overcome the world is our faith. And something I want to draw out of this, and some other translations say this too. He said, which has or which hath overcome the world? That's past tense. 
right? I was, I was a copy editor for a newspaper. I was a managing editor for a newspaper. I can tell you about tenses, but I'm pretty sure all of us from any grade in school can tell us that if it says it has already happened, that's past tense, right? Faith, the faith that's in us that says we're to be overcomers in life is something that's already happened. Victory seems daunting, again, because we've forgotten what already belongs to us, right? If you're born of God, it's your birthright as a child of God to be victorious. And that ought to become our new habit in life. That ought to become what we're used to, what we're comfortable with. I don't know about you, but if I don't succeed at something in my faith walk, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that, right? I don't sit back. You remember I shared last year I had COVID in August. I didn't sit back after that and just say, oh, I lost that one. Too bad. No, that went against who I am as a child of God. That went against what belongs to me. So I sat down and I examined myself hard and I said, what's going on here that this happened? Because I should, that should not have happened to me as a child of God. Sickness does not belong to me as a child of God. And we've got to be objective enough about ourselves to be able to look and say, okay, you know what? I didn't get God's highest and best there. Why? Right? Don't just, religion shuffles it under the carpet and pretends it never happened. Right? A relationship finds out if something's amiss. A husband and a spouse that never communicate with each other when there's things wrong in their marriage, they're destined to split up. But if something's amiss in the relationship, if something's not quite lining up right, you don't just pretend it's not happening. You confront that thing. You do it in love in a relationship, but with yourself, man, be hard on yourself. We're faith people. Why didn't it work? Why, what did I miss? What went wrong? God didn't miss it. The word didn't miss it. That means me. I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up and, you know, lambaste myself over it, but let's be mature enough to say, okay, where did I miss it? How can I improve for next time? The Bible says we ought to go from glory to glory. That means that we start here, we go up a level, up a level, up a level. But we've seen this, you know, lately in schools and things like that. I know especially during times with remote schooling, remote education, the standard really dropped for what they require of students in schools. You know, not universally, but I know, you know, just in our personal experience, you know, there's, there's, certain, there's no penalties for late things anymore. There's no penalties, you know, if you turn it in late, there's nothing wrong with turning it in. You turn it in whenever you feel like turning it in. You don't have the right reading level, that's okay, we'll pass you anyways. You know, and too many times we treat our faith like that. What's happened? You're never growing, right? No, I want my kids to be challenged so that they can rise to what's next. Amen? If I do poorly on a test, I don't just throw it out. I look at what I got wrong and see so that I can fix it next time. Amen? Praise the Lord. Think about Orphan Annie. You remember Sweet Little Orphan Annie, right? That's a great musical, isn't it? I mean, you just, tomorrow. I mean, it moves you. Maybe it doesn't move you. Move me. Anyways, Orphan Annie you remember the story of her. She was in an orphanage, had this horrible life. I forgot the woman's name that she used to get, you know, uh, verbally abused by and everything. She got adopted by a rich, rich man named Daddy Warbucks, right? Daddy Warbucks brought her in. She was down here in the slums of life, and he brought her up here to live as the high society in New York City. I mean, he changed her life by adopting her, right? What if Orphan Annie thought, you know what? This life is nice and comfortable, but I'm just so familiar with that old one. I remember the people there. I remember what it used to be like. I'm going to go sleep in the orphanage again. Well, that would be a lousy ending to that movie. I mean, that musical has a happy ending, and that would be a, a horrible way to end it, right? But there's so many Christians. You were down here in the slums of existence. 
down here in the dirt and the muck and the mire of being a person, and God saw you and plucked you up. He adopted you. He brought you out of that. He brought you as an orphanless creation and brought you into his home as a child of God. Why on earth would we want to turn back and go back to the way things were? You know what's back there? Losing, failing, not having enough, being sick all the time, being in strife and arguing, always getting kicked out, always getting you know, kicked in the face and beat up by life. No, Daddy, God, Abba Father, the Bible says, has adopted us out of that life and brought us into a higher life with him. Let's live where he has us to live. Amen. That's the place of victory. You're going to be like Orphan Annie. You don't need to be singing about tomorrow. You got it today. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to reinforce this this morning. You may say, I don't know that I can have that kind of faith in my life. Let me ask you something. If you're born again this morning, I guess I'm not going to ask. I'm going to tell you. If you're born again this morning, you've already faced the greatest faith victory that you are ever going to face. Ever. You may say, yeah, but I need this bill paid. Listen, in comparison, you believed in your heart that an invisible God that you can't see with your natural eye, who's alive, sent his son, who's a spiritual creation, but came to earth through a virgin as a man to be born on the earth, to live 32 years of sinless life, 33 years of sinless life, that died on a cross, a wooden cross, that he went to hell in your place, that he defeated a, a fallen angel called Satan, and that he rose from the dead after doing that, went back to heaven, and in that is the fact that you don't have to go to hell for all eternity. And a tax bill seems big. I mean, you've already conquered the biggest faith victory you're ever going to have. Anything else, when that thing comes up, you look at that and you say, if you compare that to what you've been comparing it to before, sure, it's going to seem hard. But if you compare that to the victory that you've already made a habit in your life, it seems like nothing. Amen? That tickle shows up in the back of your throat. Man, I'm going to heaven. I'm healed and whole. I've got, this has nothing on me. You know, always go back to that. Rehearse your victories because they'll inspire you to win again. That's how you make a habit of something. Amen? You've already conquered the biggest faith victory you're ever going to conquer in your life. So nothing ought to seem daunting or impossible to us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews 11. Letting the word help us this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. They call Hebrews 11 the great faith chapter. So if you need your faith stirred, go there. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we know this, hope is a necessary precursor to faith. What does that mean? It means you can't have faith if you don't first have hope for something. You must hope for something before you can have faith for it. You know, when my son was in the hospital, I know we have newer folks, but I've shared this testimony before. When our son was born, our oldest son, he was born not breathing, not moving, you know, no signs of life or anything. The doctors, it, it appeared as though they'd given him up, that, you know, there just wasn't any hope for that. And I pointed at his body in the hospital. I was thinking about that during that song. That's why I got emotional during the song, of course. But it looked impossible, right? Here's my firstborn son. He's not crying, not moving, purple, lying on the table, lifeless. The nurses are shaking their heads at each other. And it looked impossible, but I pointed at his body there on the table and I said, you breathe in Jesus' name. And he started breathing, he started crying. And I mean, what an amazing testimony. Whenever I think, 
Whenever I need to be stirred up by the fact that God is God, I just think back to that moment. Amen? And all of us ought to have those moments of victory in our life. But when he was lying there and going through that, you know, in that moment, I didn't have time to think on much of anything. But after that, we went through about two weeks in the hospital, and the doctors were telling us all these things that, you know, he'd have seizures forever, that he'd be uh, d disabled and things like that. And we just stuck our faith on it that that wasn't going to be the case, that the word said otherwise. Amen? And, of course, we know what came to pass. You know, he's healthy, strong, smart 11-year-old today. But uh, during that time, it was a faith project for us. But before we could put faith on it, I had to hope that he would be well. Amen? As faith people, sometimes we almost discount that hope thing and think of it as just a, a stepping stone to get to faith. Well, it might be a stepping stone, but it's a necessary one. You can't get to faith unless you first hope for something. So whatever it is that you want in your life, don't be afraid to hope for it. Amen? Hope for that raise at work. Hope that you get over the sickness. Yes, but don't stop at the place of hope. Because when you stop there, you're missing the final prize. Amen? I know there's times I'd come home. You know, you come home after a day of work and, you know, you're hungry, you're ready for dinner. And I'd, I'd, I'd get out of the car in the driveway and it'd be summer and the windows are open. And I'd smell whatever she was cooking out there in the driveway. Oh. Smells good. That smells like enchiladas tonight. I mean, you know, you just start, you feel stuff, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, I started getting hopeful, right? I started getting hopeful that there's something good waiting in the kitchen for us, that mama's got a good thing on the table tonight. Ooh, I'm excited about it. I get hopeful for it. I'm hungry. I need to be nourished. And so you go in the house. You step in. Fall down the stairs. You step in. And you get in the kitchen, you sit down at the dining table, and there's those enchiladas sitting right there. And I'm just sitting there, oh, those smell so good. I'm so hopeful. And she serves up four plates and doesn't put one in front of me. And I'm okay with that, and I'm just sitting there. This never happened, by the way. I'm just, this is just an illustration. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. Oh, that smells so good. I sure am hungry. I sure could be nourished right now. Well, I'm smelling. I'm hoping. But what? I'm not partaking, right? And I'm going to leave that meal missing something. I'm going to leave that table missing something. Hope has a great place. It's to get you excited for the things that's coming for you. Amen? But we can't stop at hope. We can't stop there because you'll live a life malnourished as a child of God. You'll live a life with not enough coming in for you. Faith is the place that takes what you've been hoping for, puts it in front with that knife and that fork, and digs in. Right? Faith takes the promise in the word of God from a place of hope. When you see that promise in there... Faith is birthed from that. How do you know when you're at that point? Hebrews 4, 3, you can just put it on the screen. For we which have believed do enter into chaos and turmoil. Is that, is that what it says? For we which have believed do enter into rest. Rest. When the thing that you're facing, when the storm that you're going through, when the battle that you're seeing take place, when you can look at that from a place of sitting back and say, yeah, I'm going through stuff right now. That's when you know that you're in a place of faith. When you're getting hit by stuff, when the sword's hitting you and the bullets, when you're feeling the wind and everything coming at you in the hurricane, that means that we're in the wrong place. We're not in a place of rest. We're just in a place of hope. So we have to make that transition in our hearts, through our words, through our faith life, to be in that place of victory, to be in the place of looking down on what's going on, not being beat up in the midst of it. I love the example that our pastor is of this. 
You know, he'll share testimonies now of things that he faced years ago. And you think, you went through that? You had no idea that he was facing anything. No idea that he was going through anything. You know, he could be going through stuff right now, and none of us would have any clue about it. Why? Because he's at rest. His faith is at rest. He's seated where he's supposed to be seated. And all of us have to, we can look at that example as a man of faith. You know, Pastor Nancy, the same thing. We can look at their example for us of how to live in faith over things and not be moved by them. If we're losing sleep over the things that we're going through, it just means that we're not in rest yet. We're still in hope. We're not in faith yet. Amen? I'll give you a carnal illustration. That's what I'm here for. That'll help everybody to, to associate with it. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. Now, you know... I'm a Bills fan. My kid's a Bills fan. When I watch a Bills game, you know, I don't remember. I don't think it was the playoff game. It was one of their last ones. I did the heart rate tracker on my phone, on my watch here, because I just wanted to see what it would look like. And I mean, it looked like I was running a marathon. You know, it's just up, down, up, down, up, down. Every time the offense comes on, oh, God, what's going to happen? And then you go back to, okay, I'm peaceful for a minute here. And then they get a pick six. And, oh, God, what's going to You know, you're just up and down the whole time. So I'm watching, you know, you watch a Bills game. Every game is exciting. Every game's a challenge for you, especially as a fan. Your heart races. You get excited. You get hopeful. Sometimes you get crushed and annihilated in 13 seconds that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. <laughs> but it's fun, right? You, you enjoy it. It's, the, it's part of the whole thing. Next year is Super Bowl 57. And I'll tell you something. I hope that the Bills win the Super Bowl next year. I mean, I hope it. Naturally, I think they can do it. They've got the tools. They've got the people. I know some of you are like, why is he talking about this? I'll get to a point here. You'll understand it. And if you're not a Bills fan, you can't really get it, but it'll help you anyways. Listen, I can see the path to victory for us next year. I can see how it takes place, and I'm so hopeful that it happens. But just being hopeful that we win the Super Bowl isn't going to mean watching any one of those games any easier for me. Everyone is still going to be, my wife's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> You know, she knows when they lose, she'll just quietly leave the room and wait, wait for the bear to, de to detox for a bit, you know? And, uh, but you watch those games. When I'm watching them this year, I'm hopeful that we're going to win the Super Bowl. But if just because I'm hopeful, it doesn't make each game any easier for me. It doesn't make each game, you know, any, I can't sit back in comfort and lay back on the chair and just think, oh, this is great. This is entertaining. Why? Because I'm invested in it. I'm excited about it, right? But let me put this in perspective for you. If I knew somebody came back in time, traveled back in time, and told me before the games start in September this year, and they told me the Bills are winning Super Bowl 57, do you know I would view every one of those games a little bit differently, right? I would, be, I would, I would view them. I'd sit back. I don't have a recliner. I'd buy a recliner. I'd sit back because the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, so let's buy a recliner. I sit back in my Lazy Boy and watch in comfort. Doesn't matter. Josh Allen could throw four pick sixes in a game. That's okay. We're winning the Super Bowl. Doesn't matter what happens in the game because I know the end. Listen, you've won the Super Bowl in life. You've won the victory over every battle that you're going to face, every storm that you're going to go through. So it doesn't matter what happens in the midst of it. You already know the end, right? Sit back in your lazy boy of faith. And, find, and be in comfort and rest that you already know the end from the beginning. Amen? When we're in a place of faith as a child of God, this is how we overcome is through our faith. Just rest in it. 
just to enjoy what he's purchased for us to have. Amen? You can almost enjoy it watching the show. When, it, when you're already in debt and it looks like it's going to get worse, you just say, that looks pretty bad. And it doesn't move us, right? When the symptoms are coming and you wake up the next day and you've got more symptoms added onto it, yeah, okay, I'm winning. I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win. That's what faith is for. Amen? That's how we get through things. That's how we win when we recognize that Jesus already won it for us. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, let's move on. I, I can see this is too spiritual of a church for carnal examples. Praise God. Believing for it. That's the title of my message today. Believe for it. Now, there's some things that we need to consider with this attitude of faith. We talk about faith in our own personal storms. But these are some things that have really been on my heart lately. And obviously, this isn't my church, but I know I have uh, a place here to preach this morning. And so I'm just going to say it. Uh, our faith is for more than just us. Amen? Our faith is for more than just keeping our gas tanks filled, which is a big faith project this, these days, and, and keeping our lights on at our house, right? Maybe you live in a different place in life. Our faith is for more than just vacations and nice toys. Amen? Those are all important. They're good things. They're things that Jesus died so that we could have a life that's over and above whatever we could ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 is the life that belongs to the believer, and I'm not discounting that in the least this morning. I fully believe that Jesus died so that I could have a supply to take my family on nice vacations, because that's what he wants for all of us, not just, not just the wise family, every child of God. Amen? He has these things for us. But if I stop there with my faith, if I stop at my home, my family, the five of us are blessed and taken care of, and I give a nice good offering that I put faith out for every now and then, I'm, I'm settled. You're living beneath. We're, we're living beneath what faith is for, myself included. I'm not pointing any fingers today because I've been, I've been examining myself hard in these areas. I want to make sure, you know, we've grown, of course, and, and, and things, and we went through, you know, big faith trials and have grown some things. I don't just want to use this new toy that I have, this new muscle that I found in myself in faith just to get nicer things, just to get better things for myself. There's more stuff that our faith ought to be for. Amen? Too many times Christians are so locked up in believing for themselves. Christians of faith are so locked up in believing to get through every little thing that the devil derails them on, every little speed bump that they bump over, they're so bad trying to bondo and patch up their own vehicles that they're not looking around at everybody else that's walking, right? There's people out there that don't have a car in the spirit. Yours may be beat up, but they still need a ride. They still need help. They still need this treasure that we have inside of us. We've been privileged to be taught faith. Amen. We've been privileged to be taught what the Bible says and that God's word is truth no matter what's going on in the midst around us. A message like what I'm saying today, like what we hear all the time, the message of faith, a lot of churches don't hear that. They'll just say, well, just take life however it comes at you and if God likes you enough and if you're good enough, then good stuff will happen to you. That's a lie. But so millions of Christians live beneath and live in that realm of life. We don't have to live there. And I don't know about you, I don't want to keep it to myself anymore. I don't want to take this faith that's been given to us, this gift of the faith message, and keep it just sheltered inside my little bless me club. I want people out there to partake of it. How do they do that? I'm not just talking about, you know, buying things for people or believing for things for people. But let's shoot straight about it this morning, right? I don't know about you. I've been born again 20 years this year. I've been hearing about a revival for a long time. 
I've been hearing about miracles that are going to take place for a long time. And I've seen where we try and stretch it. Can I say this this morning? Where we try and stretch it and say, oh, this is the beginning of it. Is it though? Is it though? Because I see miracles in the Bible. I see miracles that took place 100 years ago in this nation. And I see things not even remotely like that happening today. You know, Sister Susie got healed from 60% hearing loss. She went down to 40% hearing loss. Praise the Lord for that. That's great. I want more, right? And if we're only using our faith on ourselves and not for these things to come to pass, folks, we aren't doing our job as believers. We're not. We're falling short. Amen? The faith message is not just for us. I refuse to accept. Pastor Michael talks about the big pop, and he does that often to keep our faith on it right? To keep us attuned to that. But how many of us hear him mention the word, oh, the big pop's coming, and then we just go about our daily lives, never say another word about it until he mentions it again. We think about it for five minutes, and then it falls to the wayside. Amen? There are things that the word says is coming to the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, I want to be where it is. Amen? Because then we hear it said, oh yeah, but that doesn't happen in America because there's not enough faith here. Well, whose fault is that, church? Who's, uh, honestly, honestly, it's not the millions of Americans who don't know what faith is, right? We've been, uh, blah, blah, blah. we've been taught this stuff, right? I don't get worked up about this because, let's be real, there are things that we're missing out on as the body of Christ that we as faith people have a responsibility to bring in. Amen. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 3. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 3. Usually I cut off by now, but Pastor Michael said that I can go no longer than he goes. So, I've got you for another couple hours this morning. I won't go that long. He has much more fruit on his life than I do. But we're going to look at the word. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. We ought to be so proficient in the things of faith from our own personal lives that miracles like this take place at our hands publicly. I'll say that again. We ought to be so proficient in our faith, in our personal lives, that miracles like this take place publicly, right? What Peter and John experienced, they could operate in that realm of faith. You say, what amazing faith in this whole situation. They're just as born again as any one of us in this place. They're no, they have no greater license to practice faith. They don't have a higher PhD in faith than any of us do. Amen. They were children of God. We are children of God. But the difference was that Peter and John spent three years around the word, around Jesus, learning how to use their faith, getting corrected when they used it wrong or not enough. 
right? That's why it's important that we examine ourselves, that we see if I miss this faith thing, what did I miss about it? What if when Peter walked on the water, back there in Matthew, he walked on the water to Jesus, and then he's walking on, which is amazing in and of itself. I say this every time, you know, we say Peter didn't have any faith. I want as little faith as Peter had, because he walked on water. Now, yes, he started to fall, and Jesus said, where is your faith? What if Jesus had never said that? I guarantee you, because Peter was a sanguine, and as a sanguine, I guarantee you that afterwards, Peter sat back, Jesus, I don't have any faith. Jesus said I didn't use my faith. I wasn't good enough for Jesus. I mean, he probably spent, you know, okay, if you're not sanguine, you don't understand. If you are, that's the kind of person that we are, okay? But God, has, we have good points too. But So Peter learned from Jesus when he got corrected on how he didn't use his faith appropriately, so that he could use it appropriately next time, right? We have to examine ourselves, allow the Lord in our missings, in our failings, in the faith where we didn't quite finish it right, or we didn't quite cross the finish line, allow him to say to us, where was your faith? So that we can sit back and say, you know what, Jesus, you're right. You're right, I need to fix that. There's no way that Peter and John at the gate called Beautiful could have pointed at that man and said, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus if they hadn't been practiced and willing to be corrected in their faith before that. Amen? No way. You can't just expect that you're going to live life willy-nilly, walking around as someone that just expects whatever God wants is going to happen, and then you're going to come up to somebody in a wheelchair and raise them up at our hand. We can't expect it. It's not impossible, but the odds of it happening are incredibly, incredibly rare. Why? Because God's going to use someone that he knows he can trust with faith right? Someone who's proven that when he says do it, that their supply will be there to meet his word and that thing will come to pass. Amen? That's the kind of miracles that we want to see taking place in these days. How do we experience those? By being proficient and a habit of being conquerors, of being overcomers. Amen? Let's see. Here's another question we need to ask ourselves. Are we expecting it, the pop, the miracles, the revival, are we expecting it to show up in a certain way? Are we expecting it to show up in a certain way? You know, we look at Acts. I want to see these kind of miracles. But Jesus said this. He said, greater than these will you do, right? So the things that happened in Jesus' life, those were pretty great. But he said, greater than these will you see take place. I don't necessarily know what greater than these looks like. Listen, Isaiah 55, 9, if you can put that up. For as, high as the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're all hoping for revival. We should be. You should be hoping for revival. We're all hoping for this big last day outpouring of the Spirit of God. We've been praying for it. We've been asking for it. We're all hoping for it. But when it shows up, if it doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like, if it doesn't flow through who you think it's going to flow through, are you still going to be open to it? Are we still going to be ready for it? Are we still going to be accepting of it? The Old Testament prophets said that a Messiah was coming. And they said he would look like this and he would do this and he would manifest this way. And they misinterpreted that. And they looked for a conquering king and when it wasn't a conquering king, they threw the Son of God to the wayside. Folks, we're not exempt from that. That can happen to us. 
Amen. When these things start to show up, when these things start to manifest, if it doesn't look like exactly what we think it's supposed to look like, it doesn't cross all of our pretty little organized T's and dot our nice little word of faith I's. Really, right? We need to examine these things. Noah, you remember Noah? Hebrews eleven seven. by faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Everybody knows the story of Noah's ark. Even unsaved people know this story. Noah was convinced that simply because God said it, that there would be a flood, that there was a flood coming. Now, up until Noah's day, if we're interpreting scripture correctly, and we could be wrong on this, but if we're interpreting it correctly, there had not been rain at all on the earth. The, last, the first time rain is spoken of is during that flood, when God said, I will make it rain upon the earth. Before that, that was in Genesis 7, uh, 6, I think. Genesis 7, I'm sorry. In Genesis 2, it says that the grass was watered by a mist that came up from the bottom. And that was how the earth received the water that it needed. Now, again, there's different schools of thought on it. If we're interpreting it right, that's the case for today. That's where we're going to say it is. So here God says to Noah, I'm going to make it rain, and it's going to flood. Noah had never seen it rain. He'd never seen it flood. What must he be thinking? I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I trust God. But God said it, so it's going to happen. What if when the rain started coming, he said, oh, I don't know what that is, but God said it's going to rain, so the animals are still just all out there. His family's over having dinner somewhere. Next thing you know, it's flooded, and none of us and your little dog, too, aren't here today, right? Because it didn't look like what he expected it to look like. Listen, when God shows up, if we're proficient in faith, we'll recognize that it's him and be willing to walk with it. If we live out of the realm of faith and not up here. Amen? Faith isn't up here. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. Pastor Noel Ramos, um, most of you know him. He traveled with Dr., uh, Dr. Ed and Pastor Nancy Dufresne. He still travels with Pastor Nancy Dufresne sometimes. I, he came out here to the Miracle Crusade last year. I was in a service once, and he said this about this verse and this example, and it stuck with me. He said, I never try to imagine the scenarios that the thing I'm believing for will come through because that can limit God. The Bible says that his thoughts are above my thoughts, his ways are above my ways, and as soon as I try to figure it out, he can't use that way anymore because I've made it my thought. That's good, isn't it? Amen. If we're so convinced trying to figure out how's it going to happen, 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 that's not faith. Amen. We might have these preconceived notion of what revival is going to look like. I don't. I just want it. Right? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who it comes through. I don't care if it comes through a 20-year-old wearing ripped jeans. I want revival. I know, can I even say that? I, I said it. If I never preach again, you know why. But <laughs> when God is in it, people of faith will recognize it. Our job isn't to bring it to pass, but our job is to be proficient in faith, to be used to being conquerors, so that when it shows up, we're ready to walk it out. Amen? And I'll close with this, with this verse, Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Hope you're getting stirred this morning.
kind of alluded to this earlier. But we, as faith people, we have a responsibility to other Christians, to other believers, to be using our faith for more than ourselves. We have a responsibility, a biblical responsibility. Romans 15 and verse 1 says that we that are strong, and that doesn't mean that we're better, right? Let me make sure we say that. It doesn't mean that we're better than someone that doesn't know faith. It just means we know some different things about the Bible than maybe they do. Amen? So never look at it. My notes just closed on me. I guess the devil didn't want me to say this part. That's a joke. Devil's not in my iPad. We then that are strong or proficient in faith ought to bear the infirmities of the weak or the improficient in faith and not to just please ourselves. If that doesn't spell it out for us, right? If that's not clear. The message translation, just a couple for more light. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service not status. Whew. I make sure my wife has nice things. I believe God for her to have nice things, but I can't stop there. If I do, I'm being irresponsible. Strength is for service, not status. My faith is to believe God that every one of these chairs is filled with hungry people for multiple services. My faith is to believe God that when people come through that door in wheelchairs, with the lift that's going to be paid for in full. Another thing that our faith should be on. Because we want the wheelchairs to come in here so that they can walk out of it. Amen? When my faith is on those things, that's when it's being purposed right. I become proficient personally so that it can be used publicly. Amen? The Weiss translation says this, As for us then, the strong ones, we have a moral obligation to be bearing the infirmities of those who are not strong, and not to be pleasing ourselves. A moral obligation. That means that we have to do it. That we have to do it. That we have to do it. I think it was, was it Winston Churchill? I don't remember for sure. Bum, bum, I don't want to misquote it. It was one of the great English leaders who said in the 20th century, I believe it was the beginning of World War II, when Hitler was invading Poland. And they got on the BBC and they gave a radio speech there. Neville Chamberlain, I think it was. And he said that when those who have the power to do good do nothing, it's the same as if they were doing, doing the, the evil themselves. I'm paraphrasing here. We have the power of faith in us. We have the power of the message of faith. There's a reason that Kenneth E. Hagin, our pastor's spiritual father, was sent by Jesus to be a herald before the second coming of him because the church needed the message of faith for the last days, not just to get nice stuff, but to bring in the miracles and the move of God and to be proficient in them. Amen? There's too many Christians out there who are sitting like Marie Antoinette. You remember her? Now, she didn't actually say this. This is just a, a rumor. We heard that phrase, let them eat cake, right? Marie Antoinette, right before the French Revolution, end of the 18th century, she's sitting in her high castle. Someone is, it probably wasn't her. She's sitting in her high castle, and here's all these starving peasants outside storming the gates of the castle, and she's sitting in there with her big, bougie group of people. And that's, that's a, a, a millennial word, I guess, for what does it mean? Fancy, extra, super duper, right? <laughs> Whatever. She's sitting in there with all of her rich nobles and everybody, and they're all perfectly provided for, taken care of, happy, fat, go lucky, all of that stuff. And outside, the peasants are starving. 
And they came to her and said, the people are starving. And she said, let them eat cake. What does that mean? She was completely irreverent to those that didn't have what she had, right? As, as believers who know the message of faith, we have a responsibility. There are Christians starving for the faith message out there. Use yours to help them. Not saying go out and start teaching them faith, but use your faith to help show what faith can do in the body of Christ. Amen? Be proficient in these things. We're not just going to win them. We're not just going to show them by telling them. We have to show them. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, it's always good to have a good faith message. It's also nice to have a few extra minutes. Uh, you may not have liked it, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. So why don't we pray? Father, 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 we thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the message of faith that you delivered to us. Lord, we're so grateful for the help that it is to us, for the light that it is to us. Thank you for showing us that as children of God, we don't have to live life beneath. We don't have to live life in the storm. We don't have to live life lacking your highest and best. That we don't just have to sit down here, tossed to and fro by the waves in the ocean without an oar. That you gave us an oar in your word to paddle to safety, to paddle to, to a place of victory that you have for us. Father, this morning, uh, I don't know everyone in this place. I know most folks here, but I want to give an invitation to everyone here, those on live stream this morning. We talked about being victorious. We talked about the message of faith. We talked about living a life above the storms, but that doesn't just happen to every human being. There's a specific group that that victorious life is reserved for, and that group are Christians. That group are children of God. How do I become a child of God? I'm so glad you asked me because the Bible spells it out very clearly. It's an act of faith. When you pass from this world, when we die, there's two places that we'll spend all of eternity. One of them is heaven. One of them is hell. The Bible says the key to spending all eternity in heaven is to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What the Bible calls being born again means believing in your heart that he is the Son of God that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for you, and then confessing those words with your mouth. When you do that, you are now a child of God. You're now uh, licensed to every victory that we talked about this morning, every promise that the Bible says is yours, belongs to you, because you're a Christian. Not just eternity, but heaven on earth while you're here too. So I want to give an invitation this morning. If you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life here today, if you need to accept Jesus into your heart, if you need to say, I want this victorious life, I want this Jesus, I want this life that you've talked about this morning, I invite you to raise your hand right now. I'm the only one looking around and I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I see your hand. You can put it down. Praise the Lord. Just me looking around. I have the ushers helping me, but we won't embarrass anybody. We won't call anybody up front. I don't want to hurt anyone. I just want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to give another invitation here today. If you're with us and maybe once upon a time you did know God, you did know Jesus, but you've walked away since then. You've stepped away from him. The Bible talks about a story Jesus told us about the prodigal son. He was a man. He had everything while he lived in father's house, but he thought he could do better on his own. And so he left father's house and went out and tried to do it on his own. And it didn't work out for him. He couldn't do better. But he realized it and he said, I need my father. 
And he turned around and came back home, and his father was there with open arms waiting to welcome him back home. If you've stepped away from God this morning, that example is for you. You can rededicate your life to God today. Simply raising your hand, I'll reintroduce you to him this morning. With an act of faith, you'll be home. So if that's you, you want to rededicate your life today, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Again, just me looking around. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. If you're on live stream there, these invitations are for you as well. The Bible doesn't say that it's the raising of the hand that gets us born again. It says that it's the believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if that's you and you need to make that decision, in a minute we're going to pray. I invite you to pray with us and mean it from your heart. So those that are here with us today, those online, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And if you prayed this, if you're praying this for the first time or you're rededicating, don't just repeat the words that I'm saying from your head, but think about what they mean in your heart and repeat them from there, from your spirit. So everyone with me, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross so that I could be saved. This morning, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm coming home. I thank you, Father, that my life will never be the same. I'm an overcomer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or rededicated and you're here with us, we'd love to meet with you after service, with you after service, and, and help get you started on your new walk. If you're online there, please click. Let us know that you, know, you made that decision. You can shoot the church an email on our website, fcfredonia.org. Uh, it'll just come to staff, so it's not public, and then we can help you get started, too. We have materials for anyone who accepted the Lord. Praise God. Were you helped today? Amen. Amen. We all know we have a purpose for our faith, so let's be using it. Amen. Uh, before we dismiss, what we like to do is spend some time in worship, uh, and so my wife's going to lead us in another worship song this morning, and uh, I invite you to stand. And, and, and also, Mark 16, 18 says that if the believer lays hands on the sick, they shall recover. So after service, you know, Pastor Michael and Pastor Nancy will be up here. Of course, they're not here today, but if anyone has sickness in their body and you want me to lay hands on you, the Bible says that when I do, that sickness has to leave. And so if that's you, you have, need prayer for anything, even if you just want me to agree with you. The Bible also says that where two or three agree as touching anything, it shall be given to them. So I'll be up here if you need prayer for anything, but otherwise we'll just all magnify the Lord, spend some time in worship. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.